the opportunity to leverage a lot and do a lot is there if my mindset felt more comfortable with it. Ebony, is the gender pay gap <laughs> real? Is it a thing? Of course it's real. Um, there's no doubt generationally where women have been in history um, that there's an issue around finance and funding for women and, and historically women have got less. However, from my perspective as well, being a woman who hasn't had children, stayed in the working game longer, and there's a lot of stats around this, if you're in the game in those ages, 30 to 40, actually the gap significantly shuts. So I think women are disadvantaged when they end up sometimes having to come out of work and also with the historical problem. So yes, it's real. Um, it varies for different people depending on life circumstances, but it's something that is improving. Because I thought it'd be fun to have a look at the top OnlyFans earners. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're, they're, okay. Yeah, there ain't no men okay. making money on OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah. I think Black China does 21 million a month. Yeah. So it's 250 million a year. Top 10. Uh, by the way, I want to talk about it because I've mm. I said to you before, I've never actually talked about this mm -hmm. in thousand odd episodes. I haven't talked about this. Um, but I guess my point is all the top OnlyFans mm. are women. Um, because clearly there's more value to men to consume that content. Mm -hmm. So is it that in some industries or areas, women have more value and in others, men have more value or are paid more depending on mm. industry or area? I like where you've gone with that. There's a few things I thought. So one, social media, I think, has changed the game full stop because it's just removed any barrier or hierarchy of someone in a position of power being able to tell you what you can do. So if a woman sets up her only fans, if she's attractive, it will help. There's no doubt about that. Um, but you know, if a woman sets up something which is not determined by somebody else deciding where or where they can't get in it, they have freedom. Right. And so I do think that in the modern generation, there are way more opportunities to break that, which didn't exist in old school. It didn't exist in male dominated environments of sport, for example, where I've come from. Um, so I think you're right. Um, because again, like look at Instagram, Kim Kardashian, mm -hmm. she'd get a million a post. Mm. Mm. So what I think, what, are you saying we've got this decentralization where you've got control of your own brand, you've got control yeah. of your own media on social media, and therefore that's created a more fair playing field? Yeah, because then it's down to the public or the people consuming your content to decide, are you good enough? Are you what I want to con uh, consume? What is your messaging? And do I buy into you? You are not And what do you look like naked? Well. <laughs> I don't go on OnlyFans. I'm waiting for your OnlyFans. <laughs> that is not me. You need to get on OnlyFans and get going. But if the money was right. If the money was right, we don't <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. How do you make money in 2022? Well, you can show us. But um, no, I think that there are genuine issues though in society. And I think it depends on the environment you're in. Uh, there's no doubt, like you say, certain environments now, women can make as much, way more, um, and capitalise. But the truth is there are a lot of women who are in very different industries, which have layers and layers and layers of history associated to mm. it. Then you take in having babies or life that takes you out the game, certain yeah. parts of it, and you are hamstrung. So for me, I think it depends on what environment you are. I think the good news though, if I had a young kid coming through or a young person, I'd be saying, get in the, the train where you're not limited by what someone else thinks of you. You can create as much as you can for yeah. yourself. I mean, there's a lot more women commentators on Sky now, isn't mm. there? It's become more balanced. Um, is the pay gap fair there? It is. Yeah. I think it's been, it's an interesting one because when I got into the commentary game 10 years ago, there, were, there weren't many women. There was one before me and Isha Gura who both came into cricket. Um, and it, 
it, it was just a very different environment. What I think was really interesting for us is I think societies have started demanding more. There'd been Me Too movements, movements around gender pay gap. And so there was a lot more pressure on, I think, um, the sport industries, the media, to make sure people are represented and reflected in sport that they watch. And so for me personally, I got lucky. I came out at a time where that movement was happening and I was fortunate enough to jump on a train. There were women maybe 10 years before who had just as much or more talent, um, wouldn't have been able to either get into the industry or wouldn't have been possibly paid fairly. So I'm in a golden time in generation uh, where, you know, I think when you do get that opportunity, you've got to make the most of it. So you played cricket for England. Mm. It's really good that you're grateful that mm. you, you think the timing is good for you. But could you have said from the actual sport career, mm. you were just a bit late? Because <laughs> now, there's, you know, you've got the hundred and there's the women yeah. and then the men. And I, I love that. And it makes it a spectacle and a full mm. day. So, yeah. Did you play late with your batting? And have you played late with, <laughs> when you were born? I missed one just outside the off-stop yeah. is basically what yeah. happened. And you see, it's really interesting because I retired... Uh, 2010-ish, so we just won World Cup, World T20 in Ashes, and that in cricket is like the gold standard, yeah. but it was kind of known a little bit, kind of not. And actually, an interesting analogy around sort of gender was the men won the Ashes that summer. We won all of those three trophies that year, both on sports personality. In 2005? Yeah, uh, so 2009 oh, it yeah, was, yeah. yeah. Both went up for uh, sports team of the year, and the... Men won. And I remember thinking, hold on, what does the women have to do? This is the, possibly the greatest team in history. But we weren't recognised at that mm. time, right? So yeah. I think it was still a reflection of women's sports still had a long way to go. But about two years after, so I retired around then, two years later, um, the money came in the game. The contracts started to come. I was calling up my players who I retired from and they're like, yeah, got the car, got the sunglasses, got the contract. And it was starting to flow in. Money was starting to flow in. Mm. If, I'd, if I started now... Whew, you know, <laughs> yeah. capitalise, there's no doubt, yeah. financially. But then saying that, there's also more, way more competition. More people want it, more people working harder. I'd have had to up my game. Yeah. Um, but I mostly missed out, I think, five years if I would have either continued to play a bit longer or came into the game five years later, I would have been on this new crest of a wave. Yeah. Interesting you're talking about money because mm. a lot of people... I have a lot I want to ask you about oh. money. All right, well... Um, like I'll ask you, you one first. more and, yeah, then, yeah, and yeah. then, yeah, so a lot of people think that a lot of money in sport is a bit grotesque, mm -hmm. but what you've just said, more money in the women's game, mm. more competition, more talent coming through. So what are your thoughts on the amount of money in mm. sport? It's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because um, sometimes you can get criticised if you don't just say women should be paid equally to what the men and the women make. And Do you think they should be paid equally? Well, I think we're going in the right direction. I think we need quicker change, but I also understand from working behind the scenes sometimes the commercial elements that go with it. So you look at the men and women's 100, for example, the top men's players are 100 and odd K, I think it's 125. The top women are more like 30 to 50, I think it is. So there's a, there is a big disparity. Is that also not linked to the, who pulls the crowds, who pulls the sponsorships and the brands? Well, yeah, so this is, what's, this is what I was going to say is, so if you just explicitly say men and women should be paid the same and if you don't say that especially as a woman it can come across wrong I think what is important for me to, what is important is that gap closes quickly and what we saw with say for example 100 now when men and women's game played side by side mm. 
the crowds were coming in for the women and they're now justifying the investment which makes you go you got to pay them more because the crowds are turning up the families are turning up um, the standard and performances through the game so I think there's a bit of a cycle um, and the problem is sometimes the people who held the position of power of putting it on our TV screens or investing in it to get that cycle working um, sometimes um, in the past it was hampered and I think once people start to invest you see that cycle just improve goes on broadcast standards improve you build an audience audience comes through and you get a product that then deserves to be paid mm. equally. So I think we're getting there, and the change that I think we've seen in the last five years is is outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Money, anyway. I want to talk to Let's you. Let's talk about money. about money. My favourite subject. Yeah. Well, I, so I've obviously, I, you, you know, you, I know you because I got in touch years ago, wasn't it, about my old podcast. Yeah. And uh, you came on actually. You didn't know yeah. who it was, but I knew you liked a bit of cricket, and you, you were <laughs> good. And I always, I, I loved your content because. Let's be honest, I want to live a good life, I want to make good money, you know, invest in property, etc. So I'm thinking about the average Joe at the moment, looking at the world and money going, possibly going into a recession, inflation issues, we're coming out the back of a pandemic, all this sort of stuff. Um, so I hear a lot of doom and gloom about money, but then I want to know how someone like you right now in these conditions are viewing money and wealth. Is this when you think the wealthy get rich or is it doom and gloom? Well. There are more millionaires made in recessions mm. than any other time in the cycle. If you look at the really rich people mm -hmm. and the big companies that were built, they're often built on a recession. Mm -hmm. And what a recession, there's, there's a few things to this answer and I need to take you through them all. So the first thing is you need to understand what a recession is. Mm -hmm. A recession is three quarters in a row of negative economic growth. Mm -hmm. There are other people who have other mm -hmm. um, definitions of that. So you could have um, GDP um, contraction of 0.1% three quarters in a row. So in nine months, 0.3% reduction in GDP overall velocity of money and we're in a recession. Mm. But 0.3% of trillions of pounds running through the economy, mm -hmm. it's not really much. Mm. So I always say to people, there's the economy and there's your economy. Okay. So the economy is the gross domestic product, GDP. It is the amount, the velocity of money, which is the total amount of money and the amount of transactions and the flow of that money. But your economy is your own flow. Mm. Why can't you build your wealth in a recession? Mm. Just because there's a recession doesn't mm. mean you have a recession. So I told you about OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. I mean, we interviewed a, um, a winner of Love Island on, mm -hmm. on the show. And she, at 20 years old, was a stripper. Mm -hmm. And she's making quite good money. Five grand a week, I think she said, mm -hmm. for four days. Pretty good money. Got onto OnlyFans doing the same thing, but not have to be in the presence of men touching mm. her, you know, spilling beer all over her, being scalable. men. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So instead of it one to one, it's one to 5,000. So mm. it's scalable. You can do it in your home with a, a little bit of equipment. Mm. She makes millions on OnlyFans mm. doing the same thing online that she did making five grand a week. Mm. So 
for example, people would say, oh, the lockdown was really bad. The lockdown was brilliant for people on OnlyFans mm. because all men, well, not all men, but a <laughs> lot of men. We're on it. Lot, I mean, I even thought about signing up to an OnlyFans. I, the, I haven't signed up to an OnlyFans. My wife has access to all my bank accounts. She knows what OnlyFans is. I've never signed up to an OnlyFans. Just want to make that clear. But, you know, I, I can understand why mm. men, when they've got nothing to do, when they're lonely and blah, blah, blah. So... She has seen an opportunity and taken. Mm. I don't know whether you agree with taking your clothes off for money. I'll, I'll, I'll park that. That's mm. not the point. But um, Amazon boomed in mm. lockdown. Um, Zoom mm -hmm. boomed in lockdown. All these individual creators mm -hmm. setting up Patreons um, and you know do, doing online courses and membership mm -hmm. sites. Mm -hmm. They all boomed mm. in lockdown. So you either see a recession as a downside or an upside opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you've got a, a town mm -hmm. and it's full of buildings mm -hmm. and then the town gets blown to pieces mm -hmm. and all the buildings get wiped out, you've got a whole new mm -hmm. flat piece of land to build a new city on. And what recessions do is correct. So if you think about shops, mm -hmm. retail, money is moving away from them. Money is moving away from some men mm -hmm. to some women mm -hmm. in the commentary world mm -hmm. with this equality. Um, some men have been cancelled and some women are, are coming through the ranks. Mm. So the point is, there's always opportunity if you see it. But what... Well, that's the point, though. You just said if you see it. And so I, I've followed your journey, for example. I think you became a millionaire by 30, but at 25... 31. I was 31. really pissed off because I wanted to be by 30. <laughs> and you missed it by a little bit. Months. But you'll take it. Yeah. But at 25, I think it was, you weren't quite there, right? So yeah. to, to take advantage of this new... Whether it's the recession or the opportunities, you have your, your brain has to be right. So the question is, how do you go from, say, where you were... 25 or 21 to where you were at 30. What is the flip that when the recession comes or when opportunities come, you, you see it and you capitalise? Yeah, well, the first thing is you've got to want mm. to be successful, be wealthy mm. or be valuable. Mm. And when I was 25, I didn't, I thought I did, but inside I didn't really want to be wealthy or successful or mm. valuable. Um, the next thing is you have to be prepared to change what isn't working. Mm. So why aren't you wealthy, successful or valuable? Mm. And you have to be honest because to look in the mirror and go, something ain't working here. It's easy to go, oh, look at you and your Ferrari. Mm. You must be a drug dealer. Oh, the media, the, the scammers in government, the tax is too high. Mm -hmm. My boss isn't fair. He's not paying me more money. It's easy to blame everyone else. But Harry and I were talking about this on the way down. I believe that you are paid what you are worth mm -hmm. as perceived by society. And if you want to get paid more, you either have to change society. And this is what's happening with the gender pay gap mm -hmm. closing in, for example, sport. Society is changing mm -hmm. or you have to change yourself. Mm -hmm. It's hard to change society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really hard unless you're the prime minister mm -hmm. or something much easier to change yourself but to change yourself you kind of got to go yeah what I was doing is wasn't working mm -hmm. so yeah I messed that up I was a bit of a loser you know blah 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 I had, I had the blame mentality and that either happens because you want it mm -hmm. or something happens that shocks you okay so many people go through life being just comfortable enough mm -hmm. you know they're in a job that they don't quite hate enough to leave mm -hmm. 
and they're paid just enough to stay. <laughs> they're just cushy zone. Yeah, that little zone. But it, well, it's not quite cushy. It's a bit lower than cushy. Mm. It's like I don't hate it enough to leave, and I'm paid just enough to stay. Mm-hmm. That's a bit of a trap, really. Mm. Um, but you have to look at yourself and go, "What haven't I done well? What's wrong with my mentality?" Mm-hmm. And how can I change? Mm-hmm. And to change, you have to be honest about what you've accepted and what you believe. And then you have to go and find out what information you don't have. Mm. So the reason I wrote my book, Money, was because there's so much information in the world about money that most people don't have. Mm. And by the way, it's often not your fault. Mm. You can't help how you were raised, where you were raised, what country you were born in. You can't help that. But if you've got access to the internet, or you can get on Amazon or Audible or podcasts or lives, you now can change what mm. didn't work. And so, you either want change enough, or something happens and you're like, "Fuck my life." Mm. So I had a "fuck my life" moment where my dad had a massive nervous breakdown in mm. his pub. For he you know, had a, a big meltdown. He got beaten up by the police. He got diagnosed with bipolar. He got sectioned. Wow. And. I had to blame myself. I couldn't blame anyone else. So dad had put me through private school, university, bought my first car, bought my first house, or helped me. And I'm 26, still living in the pub, still working in the pub, earning 200 quid, spending 300 quid. Hating my job, but paid just enough to stay and not hating it just enough to leave. Still relying on my parents, age nearly fucking 26. And I, I, I didn't have the courage to be honest enough to take responsibility, so I blamed everyone else. Mm. Society, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not fair. And then when that happened to my dad, I could only blame myself because people have said, no, 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 you can't blame yourself. That was your dad. But I could blame myself for where I was at because I was shown enough pain. Mm. And then everything changed from there. And I, three, three years later, I was a millionaire. Another sort of six, seven years later, wow. I was a multimillionaire. I got to the point where I could, at 10 million net worth, I think you can stop counting because at 10 million, a million's not a lot of money anymore. Mm. It's not. You, you take 50% off the tax, yeah. inflation, blah, blah, blah. It's not <laughs> a lot of money anymore. Away, yeah. But 10 million is enough for most people to live a good life. If mm. you're, even if you're 30, you could probably retire on 10 million. So mm. I sort of stopped counting. All right, I'm ticking that one. Around now. about the, the, the 10, ten, yeah. yeah. 10, all right, I need to up that, my game. That's the new million. That's the new, the new million new... is 10, 10 million. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I had something external happen to me that forced me to change and look and really reflect about what I didn't know. The great thing about money, business, entrepreneurship, is the more you learn, the more you earn. Mm. And you can be in a corporate role, and the more you learn makes fuck all difference. Because mm. you're, you're in your job, and five years you might get a promotion. <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. Um, whereas when you're an entrepreneur, the more you learn, the more you earn. So I started to invest in myself because I realised I was the best asset. Mm. Um, you also have more to lose, though. Well, I was talking to my housekeeper and um, she, she just was talking to me a bit about how she's struggling with a couple of financial things. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, uh, my friend just got um, tied up in his own house, his children live in his house, and burgled and beaten up for his expensive watches. And people don't realise mm. um, when you're rich, you just have different problems. Yeah. Now, I don't ever go around saying, oh, my life is so hard because I'm really rich, because mm. most of society wouldn't understand. So mm. I don't say it mm. unless, unless I'm directly asked. But, you know, when I was broke, I had different problems. Mm. Now that I'm rich, I just have bigger problems. Now, I don't have problems of travel and luxury and self-worth as much because net worth does increase your self-worth. 
but I have problems for security and insurance. Mm. Um, my cars are fucking expensive. And when they break down, it's fucking expensive. Mm. Five grand for a wing mirror on my Lamborghini. <laughs> what did <laughs> you bang my into? Life. My own garage. <laughs> but yeah, the, you, you know, you get trolled, you mm. get a lot of online hate, you know, half of society hate you. So I don't want people to think, people want to get wealthy because they think their problems will go away. Mm. Your problems never go away. You just get different problems. But if you're grateful for better quality problems. So mm. I look at some of the problems I've got now and I think, yeah, they're better quality problems. Um, I've got a client who she's, you know, she's always juggling money around mm. and she's always needing to raise money and she always pulls it out at the last minute and <laughs> she gets a bit stressed and upset and then she pulls it out of the bag and she raises a load of money. And she just got some really freaking awful news. And she said, Rob, I wish I had my old problems back. Because mm, she's been through Because the... she's now got a bigger problem. I can't say what it is because it's confidential, but... Um, yeah, with, with, what is it? Mo money, mo problems. Mm. I think that's what they say. Well, a question I do have for you. This is definitely one I'm keen on knowing what you think about. So, obviously you're a property man. I think last I read was like over 700 properties. Who knows you got? 1,250 Well, okay, so it's, yeah. it's ramped up a bit. Yeah. So you're doing all right. A new assets about crypto, digital asset. I'm getting in the Bitcoin, Ethereum, Matic. I'm, I'm getting in the game. I want to know, what one, what you think about it, just generally. Is it the future? Is it a hedge against inflation? And two, are you still hunkering down on the old school type of asset? Would you still bank property all the day, all day or yeah. would you see this as something you add to your portfolio? What do you think? Okay, so um, the first thing about crypto mm. is there's two types. Mm. There's Bitcoin and everything else. Yeah. And people don't get that. Bitcoin looks like it's proven to be fully decentralized. Mm -hmm. Finite supply, no one entrepreneur or business person owns the platform, mm. completely decentralized. I have not found another social, uh, crypto platform which is fully decentralized. Mm. So some of them, they make out that they are, but they're owned by someone mm. or a platform. Well, what if that, that platform goes under or they go bust? Mm. It's gone. Because mm -hmm. um, I actually launched my own set of NFTs and I was looking at how I can make them fully decentralized. You can't. Mm. Um, so you've, that's your risk. So I think Bitcoin is probably here to stay mm -hmm. because it's probably gone through the initial round of stress testing. Um, and I think right now it's probably priced relatively low compared to where it's been. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to put money into Bitcoin, I recommend you put money in that you can afford to lose, which mm -hmm. is called risk capital, money you can afford to risk, and hold it for as long as you can. Because mm. the problem when you trade anything, stocks, shares, cryptos, property, you have taxes, mm. buying and selling costs. So every time you're moving that big cake, you're taking slices out of it. Mm. The longer you hold it, the more it appreciates and you haven't got all these slices taken off in fees and taxes and everything else. So trade, it. the next thing you need to think about, so there's Bitcoin and everything else, and then there's investing or trading. Mm -hmm. I'm not a trader. Mm. Um, because time in the market is really freaking difficult. I reckon there's 0.001% of people who know how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but over the long term, even most average assets that beat inflation, you're going to win on. Mm -hmm. So you said then, so if you're going to do these other things, XRP people talk yeah, a lot about yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on my lives. Matic, um, yeah, Polygon. Yeah, there's a load of them. Mm. Ripple. Um, they're all a bit different. But I don't, I see them at another level of risk as I do Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So let's say 
you're going to look at an investment portfolio. Mm -hmm. I would probably say 5% is okay for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I'd probably say 1% is okay for all the others. That would be my personal view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, if you've got a grand, it's a bit different. You might have to go to 20%. Mm -hmm. But unless you really understand it more than anyone else. So then your second part of your question is, are you still into the old school stuff yeah, like yeah, property? Yeah. The thing with Bitcoin and all the other cryptos is we don't fucking need them. Mm. Like if they all went, <laughs> like if NFTs went, oh, I lost a picture. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't actually need them. Yeah. We need property because mm. we need somewhere to live. And if we lost houses, we're all living in tents. Mm. So things like gold. Yeah. Gold is it's not as useful as property, but it's still useful. It's an actual hard asset, mm-hmm. whereas cash money is not a hard asset. So property you need. Mm-hmm. It has utility, number one. And it has scarcity. Now, Bitcoin's figured out the scarcity bit, but a lot of the other cryptos haven't. They can just yeah, basically yeah. quantitative ease them like you do with cash. So um, everyone needs somewhere to live. Mm-hmm. So property has utility. And we don't have much more land we can build on in the UK. Well, we have land, but you can't, the planning won't let you mm-hmm. you build on mm. it. So you have this growing population of people, mm-hmm. but you can't grow the housing building. So then it's still in scarcity. So you've got more supply than demand. And mm-hmm. when you have more supply than demand, you have price increases mm-hmm. generally, which is what you've seen with watches. One of the reasons secondhand cars have gone up so much is because you can't get new cars. So there's a scarcity of new cars that so pushes the value of, Second-hand cars up, supply and demand. So um, in 1952, the average property was £1,800. Now it's approaching quarter of a million pounds. Mm -hmm. That's fucking history. Mm. So yeah, cryptos and Bitcoin, all great, but there's no history. Mm. But with property, in fact, all land and property, according to the Doomsday Book in 1088, was about a million pounds in the UK. Mm -hmm. Now you can't get a 100-metre square flat in London you can't get in some places you can't get a garage for a million pounds mm, mm, in mm. central central so it shows you what's done to prices so if you're going to invest you should take a larger percentage of your portfolio on proven assets that mm. beat inflation that go up over time i believe you should buy hold die yeah a lot of people are trading oh i'm just going to sell my property now mm. and take some money out but they've got 10 percent in selling costs they get haggled a bit they've got the taxes mm. And they're actually left with not a lot more. Mm. And then what are they going to do with the rest of that money? Then they're going to spend it. Whereas if you leave it in property, it doubles every 10 to 15 years. It does. I was buying properties for 60 and 70 grand that are now worth a quarter of a million pounds. Just little properties. And that's over 15 years. So safe, secure, proven, long-term, buy, hold, die Mm -hmm. for maybe 70% of your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And then you can look at all the other stuff. People also have to understand the difference between capital and income, and they don't. So break that down for Bitcoin me. is a capital asset. Yeah. It does not produce an income yeah, stream. Yeah, in cash flow, yeah. basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people, you know, gold's great, but it doesn't produce a cash flow. Rolex Daytona's are great, but they don't produce a cash, mm. produce cash flow. Some old school Ferraris are great, but they don't produce a cash flow. And they have maintenance and management. Mm. You've got to store and insure gold, blah, blah, blah. You've got to make sure you don't lose your wallet and mm. your key mm. for Bitcoin. So you got, it's capital, not income. But property mm-hmm. is income. Mm. And it's also capital. Mm-hmm. It doubles every 10 to 15 years. And you get, and you get rental income. And last, what, last two things is... Um... Cash, so cash is dead. Are you putting all your money 
that you have spare into as many assets as possible because cash and inflation and all yeah. those issues. And then the last question, debt. Debt to leverage to still get property is still the best way, do you believe? Yeah. So, so cash is not dead, but mm-hmm. it's on life support. Yeah. Cash got into a coma mm-hmm. in 1971. Mm-hmm. So in August 1971, Nixon took... Um, the dollar off the gold standard. Well, he created mm-hmm. fiat currency. Mm-hmm. There was no gold standard backing money. And that meant that money as we knew it start to decline in value. Um, and it declined with inflation. Now, when inflation is 1% and 2%, you don't feel it. Mm-hmm. You don't feel that on your spending, really. But when inflation is 7 yeah. 8 12 15 By the way, when you're told it's 7 it's not. It's more. It's <laughs> so, always so more. Yeah. Um, because let me ask you this: Has mm. your milk gone up seven percent in the last going year? Up. Has your eggs gone up seven percent? Well, exactly. Everything's up by a long way. Mm. Not just they can they can say inflation is seven percent. You just got to look at everything that you're buying. Yeah. It's it's, it's obvious exactly. So money has the thing with fiat currency money, um, which is essentially a tool created to um, better exchange value, it's, a, it's an amazing tool. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about like this, this stuff here, I trust that and I trust that's worth what I believe 20 pounds is worth. Mm-hmm. And you'll give me something that you created or made worth for that, that for that. Mm-hmm. That's a fucking great, how did someone convince us that this piece of paper <laughs> polymer is worth something? Is worth hard 20 pounds mm. an hour of your time or whatever. I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing invention. Mm. The problem with it is it's just worth so little now. Mm. And when it's really high inflation, that gets exaggerated. Then you have quantitative easing, mm-hmm. which is where the government print more money. If the government want to um, fuel the economy, if the government want to erode their own debt, they'll just pump trillions into the economy. Mm oversupply related to demand reducing value so each time the government do that without your permission your 20 pounds is now worth 19 pounds or 18 pounds and you know you can't get a penny sweet for a penny now i used to get 10 stingers for a quid down the tuck shop what's a stinger Uh, it's like a a, you know those refresher bars 10 stingers for a quid or 10 packets of tangy toms (laughs) for a quid now you probably can get one or two so you can see what's happened to prices so cash isn't dead mm-hmm. and, and I, I still need it. Mm-hmm. I still need it to pay my bills, my direct debits, but I have minimal amount of money that I can plausibly have in cash. Mm-hmm. So for me, because I've got companies and assets, I, I probably have minimum about three million pounds in cash, mm-hmm. but that's got to pay payroll for 137 people. And mm-hmm. you know, that's got to cover all my overheads. But if that was me as an individual, and my running costs were two grand a month, I'd probably have £2,500 a month in cash, and that would and be it. Everything else would and be. then everything else in real estate, everything else in... I like the stock market, actually. Mm-hmm. Well diversified into the stock market because it's been proven over time. Mm-hmm. I like physical assets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people say, our oh, materialism is really bad. Well, if there's a revolution and inflation is really high and cash is worth nothing, you're going to be pleased you've got gold. Mm. You're going to be pleased you've got Rolex Daytona's, diamonds, rings, because that's the only thing that's going to be worth anything. Mm. So I'm, I'm not a minimalist anti-materialist. I actually think material assets, hard assets, are much better than money. So I'm storing quite a lot in Rolex Daytona's and gold and other physical things mm-hmm. because, um, like, 
If I said to you in three years, there's going to be a run on all the banks and they're, they're going to be rioting outside 10 Downing Street and, you know, you, you probably wouldn't believe it. Mm. But if you look every 50 or 100 years, it happens. Mm. I mean, do you remember Northern Rock 2008 yeah. when yeah. everyone was queuing and they just, the banks just shut the doors. Yeah. You know, you think you, people are naive, right? And I, I get why, because you're conditioned by society. But you, if you give your money to the banks, mm -hmm. you don't fucking own that money. Mm. Like whatever money you've got in the bank, I've got money. If, in the bank, yeah, yeah, exactly, you've got money in the bank. <laughs> As you're saying that, I'm like, mate, so I've got some gas. There's a disaster in the economy. Yeah. There's hyperinflation. Yeah. Um, it's all over the it media. Everyone runs to the bank to get their money. The bank shut the doors. You lost your fucking money. I mean, it happened in mm. Japan recently. Mm. Now that, that that doesn't happen very often. Otherwise, we wouldn't trust banks and money. But you know, some people say to me, "Oh, yeah, but seventy-five grand is guaranteed. If yeah, there's a run yeah. on the banks." Because they don't have the deposits in the bank. Mm. So, um, yeah, money, money, fiat currency money, it's going down in value a lot. But that actually pushes hard assets up because mm. a lot of people are coming out of cash mm -hmm. and, and into, into So what watches have gone mad. They'd rather buy a Richard Meal, a Patek Philippe, a Rolex than they would have 20 or 50 or 100 grand in cash. Mm. So it pushes the value of those up. And then the second part, mm. and then we're going to move on to you. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting I my... I see what uh, you've done here. But I just this wanted, I wanted to my personal insight. Yeah. I was like, that's what I want to know. Go yeah. on. Um, debt. Mm -hmm. So there's two types of debt. Mm. There's good debt and bad debt. See, so I hate debt, right? So I have... That's got, because you've been conditioned... I've got credit, like my limits are there, but I don't use them or I just have zero debt. And I think my mindset hates debt. Do you Even have a mortgage? Paid it off. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I was just like, get rid, get rid. So I like, I feel freer. I have no debts. I used to, years ago, student loan debt, all that sort of stuff. And then I shifted my mind and I cleared it. So I feel safer and more comfortable. Is safety and comfort the enemy of greatness and growth though? Well, well I don't know. You tell me. This is why I'm asking you. I wanted to know what you think. So I've always stayed away from it. I feel safer. It feels more like, you know, when you've got money under the sofa, I feel like, well, there's, everything's paid off. Everything's cushy. There's no worries. However, I guess the opportunity to leverage a lot and do a lot is there if my mindset felt more comfortable with it. Yeah. Okay. So I think what you've done is great. Mm. Get yourself in a financial position where you can pay off your properties mm. and you've, you know, you're, you, you've, you're financially responsible. Mm. And that, to be honest, is stage one. Mm. So if people can't manage debt well and they're in bad debt and they've got loads of cre credit cards and they're paying loads of interest, mm. stage one is get rid sure of your are. bad debt. And I've been there years ago. Which is why out. you're happy now. Yeah. Which is So what you've done is great. Mm. And it but, feels safe. It feels nice now. You're like, yeah, but, there's no worries. There's always worries. Not true. Yeah. True. Um, so I suppose it depends what worries you want. Because the worries I like are fuck, I'm losing millions in inflation. I need to invest this money wisely. I'd mm. rather have that kind of worry mm -hmm. than an easier worry. Mm. So um, with inflation being like it is, mm -hmm. if you've got savings, they've gone down 15% at least mm. in the last year to 18 mm. months, at least. Mm. So mm. if I said to you... No, don't say that. <laughs> if, I, if I say, hey, Ebony, I've got this great investment. You mm -hmm. need 100 grand, mm -hmm. and in a year I'll give you back 85 grand, what do you reckon? Obviously, no. Well, that's the deal with cash right now. Mm. That's the deal with savings. Mm. See, people can't see, because you can't see it. If, and you're looking in and seeing numbers. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if since the pandemic, which has 
you know, almost three years ago now, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if cash has gone down 30%. I wouldn't be surprised. Spending power, yeah. 30%. Mm. So you're 100, so if I said to you, I've got this great deal, mm. put 100 grand in and in three years, you're going to get 70 grand back. You tell me to piss yeah. off. Turn off the line, this is bullshit. <laughs> That's the deal with cash. Yeah. Whereas property has gone up more than 10% a year. Mm. So cash has gone down 30%, mm. property's gone up 30%. So your hundred, let's say it's just pound for pound, mm-hmm. your hundreds turned to 130 in property and your hundreds gone to 70 in cash. So actually that's a difference of 60 grand in 100 grand. That's a difference of 60% in the return. Mm. But then when you have leverage with a mortgage, mm. so with 100 grand, you can get a 400 grand house. That 400 grand house goes up 40, mm. then 45, then 50. So that, that goes up 135. Mm-hmm. So that goes up to 535 plus your initial investment. Mm. So you're talking a lot more return. Now here's the next thing which people do not get. I love knowing this. Mm. And yeah, you are, you're rubbing I'm, your I'm hands together. My kids do this. <laughs> yeah. Get some money. <laughs> Inflation erodes the value of cash, but it also erodes the value of debt. Okay. So first of all, you've got to draw the line between good and bad debt. I yeah. need to make this really clear. If anyone's in bad debt, by getting debt to buy depreciating liabilities like clothes and holidays and cars, you need to stop that shit. Mm. You need to buy depreciating liabilities with money you can afford to lose, not with debt. Mm-hmm. So park that. Mm-hmm. Once you're financially secure and responsible and you're not buying cars for 10 grand that will be worth three grand in three years, and you understand that you're going to buy assets, mm. then debt is one of your best friends. So I said 100 grand, mm-hmm. assuming 30% over three years, that's turned into 130. Mm-hmm. Let's say you got a 70 grand mortgage on it. Mm-hmm. So you only actually put 30 of your 100 yeah. grand in, but that 70 grand mortgage has also gone down relatively 30%. So it's gone down about 20%, mm. about, oh, sorry, about 20 grand. So relatively, the 70 grand mortgage is now 50 grand. Here's why. What inflation does is it increases increases your costs by reducing value. It's an increase in prices. Mm -hmm. So as prices increase, Mm -hmm. you get less for the same money. Yeah. But it does the same to debt, so it makes debt lower. Okay, okay. So then you're getting a win-win, so you get overtime, your capital appreciation, you're getting your cash flow, and... Your mortgage is getting paid off by the government. Yeah. So in the last... 12 months, the government have paid off nearly four million pounds of my mortgages for me with inflation. Okay. Boris, I forgive you. <laughs> Liz, I love you. Yeah. Okay, these are the rules that people need to learn. Well, I definitely am here to so learn. You, yeah, so you know people get pissed off that the rich get richer? Yeah. Well, the rich get richer because they know the rules they of money. They know the rules. They know the rules of money. Mm. So um, I like having about 60%. Mm. 50 to 60% mortgages. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're at 80, 90%, that's risky. Okay, okay. You can't get that now, but you can, You will at some point. That's risky because if your values go down more than that, you're in negative equity. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. loans could get called in. But I mean, you've got properties with no mortgage on it. So so yes, your property's going up steadily and mm-hmm. that's a good yeah, win. Yeah, over time it's done. But well. you're able to own less assets because mm-hmm. Basic rule yeah, you is, have to wait till you get another big chunk of cash yeah. to go in again. Yeah. So basic rule, simple at the moment, is you can have about four times the property mm-hmm. if you have mortgages on them. Mm-hmm. 
because you can get 25%. You've got 100 grand, you've got four 25% deposits mm, mm. for four 100 grand properties, mm. or you've got one 100 grand property cash. Mm. So you've lost four times leverage, mm. you've lost the growth of the other three, mm. and you've lost the reduction in the mortgages because of inflation. Mm. And when you add all of that up, it's probably a six-figure sum. Okay, I'm getting in the game. Yeah, but keep it... 60%, stay safe. Yeah, I like the sound of that anyway. That, yeah. that fits with my personality. All yeah. right, I'm going to get rich. I'm coming back to you for the next podcast. <laughs> right, I'm minted now. Where are we going? <laughs> awesome. Right, should we talk about cricket? Yeah, let's talk cricket. So being an ex-England international mm. superstar that you are, um, let's go in softly. Okay. <laughs> the game's changing big time. Yeah. I used to play um, just for Cambridgeshire, so one of the minor counties, not a real county, but I loved cricket. I just recently interviewed Kevin Peterson, mm-hmm. who's oh, obviously, yeah, yeah, no, Kevin. Um, you know, a, a big deal. Um, he said mm-hmm. he just was a bit early because mm-hmm. he played all formats of the game. He just wanted a bit of time to play all formats of the game. He didn't think that the game at the time was allowing that. But now there's all these different formats. Mm-hmm. Um, how has cricket changed? How has the sport changed? Mm. How has it become more commercial? What are the upsides and downsides mm. of the change of cricket? Yeah, cricket's, cricket's gone through a revolution, really. Um, and I, I think it's driven by the consumers and time. Back in the day, people wanted to watch test matches for five days. They had the time. People would invest that attention span. And now people want entertainment. They want fast and furious. Um, they want to be entertained in, in a shorter period of time. And so the game has been forced and it's moved and, you know, KP and Kevin Peterson talking about where the game is going. And he was at the forefront of change mm. with the way he played, everything that's happening. But what ended up happening is India became a superpower. They launched what's called the IPL, which was T20 franchise tournament. Billions starts flooding in and they turned it into just an incredible entertainment machine. And also the performance of India went up, which then shifted the whole world game. Players then started who were attracted to the IPL are now being offered ridiculous sums of money. Which You're talking like seven figures. Seven figures oh. plus where their county contract... I'm going to get my pads back out. Yeah, I, saw, I saw you did a little... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you showed us some skill. I'm not sure if you, you're out of the game yet, but, uh, but we'll work on it. We'll try. Um, so, so I think you've, we've had a bit of a destabilisation of the game where India created this whole engine, money's flowing in, players are becoming rock stars, um, it also meant that, let's say you're an English player like Kevin Peterson, for example, and you're knowing, well, hold on, I can go out, entertain on that stage and get paid seven figures plus um, and do it in a short window. So where a lot of international players have been playing over cycles of years, you could go out there for four, five, six weeks and make more in that than you do for, for years. So um, it's created this whole exciting space. Now, I enjoy it. I have to be honest. You've heard about the 100. And if you're in the sport, there was a lot of controversy around it. I was not Why sure. Why was there the, controversy around that? The controversy was because one, it was a different format, so it's shorter than even 20 overs, it's short. Two, it was forced into English cricket because they wanted their own kind of IPL version. And that meant that counties, the original structure of cricket, now had to suffer losing players, going to this tournament, um, more cricket in the summer. It just it was chucked on top of a system mm because they couldn't find a way to make it work within the system. Um, Do you think the 100 was good for the game? It's a mix. It's a mix. I think what it's done is brought a new audience, which cricket needed to do. Who are the new audience? The new younger, more uh, more female, family friendly, more diverse, 
cricket's audience, if you looked at it, was old white white male that were in 60s plus, I think, as you look at the demographic. And the whole of India. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, in English audiences yeah, anyway, yeah. that was the problem. And yeah. so there's nothing wrong with that audience, but we, we weren't seeing the growth of, yeah, you know, yeah. if that was your business and you're looking at your customer base and it's aging and it's you're missing out on all the new trends, mm. you would make the shift. So I understand why it made the shift. I guess the problem is now we're seeing players with burnout and all, because there's so much mm. cricket. Um, players are now having more, so there's actually now player freedom. They can choose to not play certain formats because they're going to take the money in IPL. They're yeah. going to go to Australia's version, the English version. And so it, it's destabilised. Well, you like disruption. I, you was got just, it on your... I was just thinking, you could probably see it on my face. I was just saying, I love it when shit gets shaken up. Yeah. Like in golf, there's this whole live thing yeah. going on. I'm desperately trying to get Greg Norman on. I know I'll make it happen. I love things that are shaken up yeah, and you yeah. get upsides and downsides. But at least everyone's fucking talking about it. True. And it has brought in a new wave and there is new money coming in and new sponsors and the yeah. whole thing. And, and I saw it, looking around the stadium, I saw younger, you've got a young family. Yeah. And say, for example, you take your, I think you've got a boy and a girl, yeah. have you? So you could take them, they can watch the boy and the girls team yeah. at the same. You know, the whole thing was um, set up perfectly. So it's been fun. It's caused a lot of problems. Those problems still have to be solved. What are the problems? Well, the problems are... You talked you, about we've burnout. now. have got four, four formats. Too many. I mean, to be honest, right, the hundred's not really any different from T20. <laughs> I did think oh, it was just a few less balls. It is a few less balls. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people... Look, we both grew up with cricket, but some people say, when you say this is what happened, they don't get it. They're like, that's just... The rules sound like a lot. So the hundred was designed in a way of just saying, it's just a hundred balls. Watch it tick down on the score from one, ten balls, you know. Yeah. So you just look at that and look at runs. And they've taken away all the sort of oh, heavy stats. It's, and It's that to simplify it. Simplify it. Because so people don't just, understand six balls in and over. Yeah, and all what's oh, an oh. over, what's this. So right, yeah, I can see that. it back. They did it, stripped it back so far that when I started watching it, I didn't fucking understand <laughs> it. I was like, how many balls are in and over? What is it, the five <laughs> balls? Was So actually, people have institutionalised with cricket, yeah. I can see why they would be a bit resistant. Yeah, yeah. But, but based on what you said, it has disrupted. I think it is the future of where the game is going. Players, let's face it, if you're a youngster now growing up, you know, you have got the test, which is still, I love watching test cricket. Is it? Is there an upside to just jump yeah. in? Do you think these short formats have actually improved test match cricket? Or made they, them more watchable? They made them... You look at Ben Stokes, I don't know if you saw, Ben Stokes yeah. got that incredible game up at Headley where he won it. He bat he dotted it around for one day and then the second day just blitzed it. Yeah. Or recently this they call it the Basball where Brendan yeah. McCullum, the new coach who's come in, they've just got on and made it, and it's much more entertaining. You, can, you to watch. can win a test match in two to three days now. Yeah. We just beat South Africa in yeah. like two and a bit days. We just got didn't on we? with it, yeah. Because yeah. we had obviously the Queen's death and also yeah. they lost a couple of days and it was still so I find it personally more entertaining. The traditionalists don't. And there's this battle between... Things change. Yeah, yeah, but there's this battle going on. So we know which way it's going because ultimately it's being decided by the younger, newer audience and where the money's flowing. Yeah. Um, and it's going that direction. So, yeah, uh, I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't mind. I might try and make it. Maybe we should both make a comeback. Let's yeah. get in the nets, see if we can make a bit of this franchise money. Uh, it must be great to be a cricketer now, though, for, to see the opportunity. Mm. Yeah, the opportunities are crazy. And I think for... The female game alone, um, there are now franchise that are dovetailing with all the men. So you've got in Australia the big bash, you've got the women's big yeah. bash, there are the women's IPLs in place, the, the hundred here. Um, so you can play your sport at the top of the game, you become friends with global players because you're playing. That's the other thing as well, you're playing in the changing room with the best 
of the best. Yeah. And you're learning. So you see players go and play a winter somewhere and come back with a different style of play yeah. because they picked up from the Indian players or, yeah. you know, etc. So, yeah, the game is, is, is flying. Uh, money's coming in. Uh, cricket will never get where football is in this country. But I think products like The 100 or more awareness and marketing can kind of drive more interest in the game and get it back to closer to being a national sport. I definitely did think, though, mm. There was too much cricket, mm. and I love cricket, mm. and I would watch it. I either I can sit and watch it, watch it, or I can sit and work and watch mm. it. But I did. I, you could see the fatigue in some of the players. Mm. You could, you, you know, now, now you've got to rotate your bowlers, mm. for example. And um, how do they solve that? Yeah, look, that is. Or do big, they not care? Well, we've seen we've seen players take breaks for mental health issues, um, exhaustion. Bowlers have. You know, we've got a lot of bowlers injured at the moment. Um, if we don't sort this, I don't know what's going to happen. And the problem is we have four formats. Everyone's trying to get there. So if you play in a 100 team, then a county team, you play for England, you're getting pulled pillar to post. Yeah. And some players are getting smart and just pulling themselves out of it and saying, I'm not doing that to myself, yeah. which is not great. Um, how we solve it, the honest answer, they're trying to do this. There's been talk about high performance review and they're trying to work it out. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. And I'm not sure where they're going. I'm glad that's not quite mm. my job. <laughs> Right, the big question we've got mm. to talk about is, is there or has there been institutional racism in cricket? Mm. When you phrase it with institutional racism, I guess, where do we start? I mean, I would say we start with society. Um, society has had historical problems for a long time and I think cricket's not immune. Um, you look at the demographics of who plays our sport, my sport in cricket is... Um, Private educators usually, um, wealthy, backgrounded people. And so I think we've had a problem of um, social mobility, people from different backgrounds not being able to come in. Um, and I think that goes from white working class to black British to um, British South Asians, the whole, whole works. So a lot of people have been excluded. Now, the problem, so I first black woman to play for England, uh, something I'm very proud of. Cheers, thank you. Did you know that? If you do, that, it's a cool thing. Yeah. But I always spent my career, which you know, I've spoken about my experience, was looking around going, why are there not more people coming through? And the honest answer is I grew up in inner city, but there were no provisions for the sport in my environment. So how did you break through? Then? I got lucky. There was a lady called Jenny Washtrack, God rest her soul, who talent scouted me, did everything, gave me the money. When I had issues with people talking about my colour and race and all those sort of things, supported me through to stay in the game, which was quite difficult. Um, but I got a lot of luck by having this one person. But when you look at the structure of where the money gets put into, where people look for talent in our sport, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of challenges. And then there's a lot of players who've gone through the game and experienced things like I did, which is explicit racism. So there, there has been sh troubles. And I think a lot of that came from a lack of understanding, people coming from different worlds and, um, maybe didn't understand people enough. And I think our game has now got to a point of realising it has to diversify if it wants to reflect society. It's as simple as that. So, you know, there's been a lot of upheaval, as I'm sure you would have watched and the whole world watched as cricket kind of imploded on itself to realise there are problems. You know, Black British have declined by 70% over the last 20 years as players. And when you start to hear the accounts of players, there was a lot of negative experiences in the game. Um, the, um, there's thirty percent of the. I didn't know that over t over the last twenty years. Twenty years, there's been a decline. Wow, yeah, because I used to think of people like um, 
Devin, Devin Malcolm. Malcolm. Yeah, so in the 70s and 80s. L Lewis, is it? was Chris it Chris Lewis? Lewis? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in the 70s, 80s, um, up to the 90s, there was... Alex a, Tudor, wasn't yeah. there? And then there's yeah. a fall-off. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, I, I, my personal reason why that the, that has happened is actually, if you look at a lot of those players, a lot of those players came through in that West Indies. When the West Indies were amazing... Yeah, right. ...in terms of the, the, the global game, and they were... People who came to the UK maybe as kids, yeah. that generation played. So they already came here with a cricket culture. Right. Um, so you had this sort of hotbed, and obviously West Indies were hot. So yeah. you know there was an England team that went to West Indies with five black players in it. Yeah. Um, because that was a height of like seeing Michael Holding at the other end, and it, it kind of made sense. But actually, there was never an infrastructure built into environments where I would say the lower economic classes live. Um, so this is why I say it's not just a problem around race. I think it's more a problem around economics and socioeconomic groups. I actually think the working class kids don't get access. You played cricket, but you, you also said you went to a private I school. I went to a private school and, and we played cricket and the some of the state schools didn't play cricket, and, just didn't play. And just they don't get a chance. Yeah. And so then the game, I don't know if you saw Freddie Flintoff's recently done a documentary um, in the north in Preston and he's taken like white working class kids and local kids from Preston and all sorts. But they just don't have access. They're not seeing cricket. They're not seeing these heroes. Um, come through and so I think the bigger issue we have yes racism is one that has to be dealt with and it's being dealt with and it's been um, I've been so um, grateful actually that our game has had this I would say disruption of the, especially of the black or black lives matter but more importantly I think we should look at socioeconomic groups because I think the lower classes are not getting access to our sport full stop yeah um, and this is why I think things like the hundred actually by it being more visible and looks more engaging a kid might see that from all sorts of background and go actually that looks cool whereas if you turn on the TV which I remember the first time I saw test match cricket when and I was like that looks crap like it looked crap yeah. like yeah. it looked like pot-bellied blokes having tea like I mean <laughs> that's what it looked like early days so I think you know, being able to see something that's visually engaging, you then look on the pictures and maybe see people that look like you or they're representing your city or right. whatever it is, yeah. I think will encourage more kids. And as long as we then put the resources into those areas, um, then our game will break down those bigger issues. So do you think cricket is making progress in that area? Yeah, look, I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm being honest. Cricket no, no, was, just lie. Yeah, yeah. I should lie, I'm gonna please, lie, I'm gonna please, lie. I should honest. lie, everyone, I'm lying. Yeah. Look, look, cricket was stuck in a rut. Cricket had no interest in sorting all this out before the movement around uh, George Floyd, Azim Rafiq. It had no mm. interest in really getting to grips with it. Um, it then got to, to, taken to the DCMS and it got, you know, made front page news and cricket had a really bad um, reputation as a sport so I think since then and sometimes you talked about change earlier and sometimes you have to be shocked into change I think yeah. the game's been shocked into change but I have seen a lot of investment accelerate changes on everybody's agenda so the game has to and it's starting to diversify yeah. and you mentioned Azim Rafiq mm. so that was the Yorkshire mm. situation just want to talk your way around what you think that was all yeah, about that's, it's a how it played out. Yeah, so look, Azim, and I know Azim Rafiq well, um, had some horrific experiences um, as a player around racism at the club. And, you know, he's spoken openly about it. And That's fucking brave, isn't it? Very brave. Look, I, uh, I don't know how he did it, if I'm honest. Um, partly because you're going to be isolated. Mm. You, you know, people are not going to believe you. He, he stuck at what he believed for such a long time and he, he got very little back from the club at that point um, which ended up causing more and more of the issue actually I think if there would have been more, a bit more harmony maybe they would have been able to work through it without it having to blow up. Mm. Um, 
you know, it then uncovered more cases within the game. And then I think the racism within cricket really sort of surfaced and, you know, it ended up in a government inquiry. Uh, where we are now, I mean, Yorkshire have gone through a really tough time, really tough time because they've had to, everything's been ripped up pretty much from the board, uh, members in the club. Um, it's been a, it's been a horrific time for the club, but, you know, they're trying to make ways. They're trying to, you know, they had Lord Patel come in and he's trying to make Yorkshire into something that is truly reflective of what they want it to be. So, you know, it's been messy for the game. There's no doubt about it. It's been hard to watch. It's been hard to watch Zim go through what he went through. The players as well have gone through a tough time. Um, but cricket possibly needed something that bad to make a change. Mm. And you mentioned Andrew Flintoff so before. Yeah. Oh, no, go on. You, I was going to say, go what did you think of it all? Ah, like what, yeah. no, but I, just, I, do I, want... I don't have anywhere near the intel that you Yeah, do. but as a, as a just a sports general fan, when all this stuff was kicking off, what did you see and what did you think? Um, it's very hard for what many people would deem to be a privileged white male mm. to comment on this. Um, I do realise the position. I've never had racism. Mm because I've only ever lived in England and I can't even imagine what it would be like to be tormented for who you are. Because mm. at least if it's something that is just what you do or what you said, but who you are and being mm. ab you know, abused for that, even if it's just words, words can hurt fucking bad. And I was the fattest kid in my school for three years and that really hurt me. Mm. So it's difficult for a 43-year-old white male to fully understand this. As I watched it, because um, I don't know what's going on, if he's experienced it to a, a deep degree, fucking brave to come out and speak about it and good on him. And actually, he's probably going to create change, which is going to make it better for a lot of people. Mm. What's difficult for me to see is when people like Vaughan, who I loved watching, great cricketer, and, and I like his commentary, then there's all the, did Vaughan say this, didn't he? Mm. Is now a fake telling the truth or not? Mm. And that's difficult. Mm. And I don't know. Mm. Mm. I just don't know. Mm. Um, but here's another thing. The world moves so quickly now because of basically social media and the internet. Mm. So anything you want to learn, mm. you can learn at the speed of the download speed mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the internet. Whereas 200 years ago, you were raised in your little town and you didn't even know of other people who lived in other towns and anything you wanted to learn, you had to walk to a library and go and read it. Mm. And hundreds of years before that, like you literally only learned from your tribe. Mm -hmm. So people don't talk about this, but I, th I strongly think this. So what's happened over time is the information exchange of what we've learned mm. has sped up and sped up and sped up and sped up and now it's at the speed of light. Mm. But we can't evolve as human beings as quick as that. Mm -hmm. So our evolution compared to the speed of information is so slow. Mm. And what I do see sometimes is people are being judged in today's world for things that were different 30 and 40 and 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely not saying that is about racism. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, my dad is a Yorkshireman. Mm -hmm. I know the culture of Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, it's no real surprise. Mm -hmm. If anyone knows a Yorkshireman, mm -hmm. they know. But that's how they were. Mm -hmm. But life has moved on so quickly. And we learn about everything and human beings and equality and everything else. Yet Yorkshire is still like Yorkshire was. And I find that really confusing because mm. I, I, 
it's hard to change as quick as we need to, to change. To um, and maybe that's why the speed at which Yorkshire, it all sort of opened up was mm. slow. Mm. Um, but um, I've, I think the world is a much better place mm -hmm. when there's diversity. Mm -hmm. I always loved diversity at school because I was the fat kid. I always was attracted to the other people who weren't... Were different. Yeah, were different, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there was two or three Chinese kids that would come over from Macau or wherever, and, you know, mm -hmm. they were a bit... And I'd always hang out with them and be friends with them. So in this weird way, I've experienced it in my own way as I was a fat kid, um, but I'm no expert and you're mm -hmm. in the game, so mm -hmm. that's just a really lay person's point of view. Mm -hmm. I do think in any industry... You want to see a bit of everyone and a bit of everything, yeah. and you want to see a bit of healthy competition. Mm. But one thing I will also say, which might not be popular, is like the world rewards people who are fucking good mm. and fucking useful. Mm. So all we can do as an individual is focus on getting really fucking good mm. and really fucking useful. Mm. And often it's easy for people to say, oh, well, it's not fair for me and mm. haven't been given opportunity and blah, blah, blah. Get fucking good, get fucking useful and you will rise to the top, regardless of age, race, sex, mm. or anything else. Mm. Uh, Semi-agree, semi-disagree. Well, yeah. hit me with the disagree, because yeah, no, by think... the way, I'm also open to learning yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I, so... I think you're right. And I, look, talk about social mobility. I grew up... Um, what does that actually mean? Social mobility, sorry, I should say, is yeah. how easy is it you in society to move from... You move, change your economic circumstances. So if you start as a working class, can you end up middle class or upper class? Can you move through society now? We are not well, you, can, you, you can if you've got the internet and you've got access you can, to information. Because I have to hold that belief, don't yeah, I? Yeah. I teach people how to start businesses and build wealth. Yeah, yeah you have and, to. Yeah. And, if I, and if I say, oh, well, but the thing is, if you're in this social class or this but environment, let, let me throw one more fucked. bit about you. So I grew up, then it's like we would have free school meals, I'm talking, single parent, mom. You know, it was tough financially. Mm. And our environment was that. So you talk about environment and being around good yeah. people and all that. We were in, around a world where you talked about that early scenario where your town might be. Our mm. town is everybody is struggling financially. Mm. Yeah. Everybody is tight. Everything is tight. You then try and get a job into, and you're not necessarily, your, your accent can put you off from getting yeah. a job because you sound a bit rough or whatever it is. So there is no doubt for me coming from that environment, there are a lot of barriers for people in those environments. And sometimes it's easier to do things like crime because you're not getting a look in. You know, you right. go to the job and they judge you for how you look or how yeah. you walk or how you talk or whatever mm. it might be. So I have no doubt that... That's why they need to start their own business. But this is what um, I was going to say, yeah. I was a misfit at school, yeah. definitely not like yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah. I probably had it easier, yeah. I'll acknowledge that. But because I was a misfit, it forced me to do something different. Because mm. mm. the only jobs I had were cleaning jobs. Mm. I used to clean toilets, mm. I had shitty jobs. Mm. And I was fucking useless at that. Mm. So, but the, the thing is, you missing the point, is to make that leap, your brain has to be able to see different to your environment, right? So and, you maybe have... That's why I exist, to tell people, go educate yourself. Yeah. Online, on podcasts, on audiobooks on TikTok lives. how do we get that flip? So I believe in this myself and I would say I've been so fortunate to move, but I've read books since I was God knows what age about personal development or whatever yeah. to shift my mindset. My mum was very good at telling me go read and she, yes, maybe she didn't um, progress financially in the way that way, but she was able to tell me go and educate yourself. Yeah. But my point is making that leap is quite hard when you're in that world. Yeah. And so, therefore, I understand why some people aren't able to make that shift, and I don't judge them for it. No, but, I don't. But what yeah. I what what I would say is, 
my life shifted once my cricket gave me the recognition of World Cup winner. Like everything changed, the way people talked to me, the same people who would like hardly look at you before, yeah. started treating you like, and I was like, what's going on here? 10, year, ten years ago, five years ago, you don't want to know me. Yeah. And now, because there's a bit of success attached, I've seen a shift in people. So I do believe in, if you can build a reputation for yourself and credibility. Get good can, at something. Uh, that, yeah. that really can allow you to then open up yeah. some of the opportunities in the life. But yeah. my point about mindset, and I believe in this myself, is it is hard for some people and for some environments, especially when everything is set against yeah. you, to make that. And I agree with that. Mm. And I understand it in a very small way and could no way understand it mm-hmm. when people are raised in really underprivileged backgrounds mm-hmm. and societies. And so, you know, I try and make sure I'm a bit in touch with that. The thing is mm-hmm. that my message is mm-hmm. you cannot change where you were born, mm. but you can change tomorrow. Mm. And I think what you're saying is, yeah, but someone needs to work out how they can change tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, someone like me will help you change tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But in, because even though your circumstances might be bad around you, you don't have to make that mean that you're a victim. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people use it as their story, don't they? Mm-hmm. And it's because of their working class or their mm-hmm. underprivileged background. I mean, Oprah Winfrey was abused mm-hmm. and she used it. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm, I think in a way it's good that I'm a little bit of a further step removed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I can say, if you've got the internet Mm -hmm. and you know how to download a podcast Mm -hmm. and you know how to watch a YouTube video and you know how to watch a TikTok live, like all of this, go educate yourself um, and learn about money and learn Mm -hmm. about business and learn about entrepreneurship and learn about social media. Um, Because I think Bill Gates said this, and I know privileged white male, but Bill Bill Gates said, it's not your fault if you're born poor, Mm -hmm. but it is your fault if you die poor. Mm -hmm. And I would say caveat, if you have access to information. Mm, mm. And in Africa, mm. they don't mm. often. And so that's really fucking hard. But even if, you're, even if you're in a background poor area where you haven't got an internet connection, go in a place like this and nick it. <laughs> if you're going to nick anything, nick internet connection, in, nick yeah. books. Get some information. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. That would be my message. All right. Awesome. And what do you think about that? Yeah. Was there anything else I said that you didn't agree with or you wanted to... No, I, challenge I, or no, 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 no. I think I think you're 100 percent right. I think mindset is everything. Um, what I'm aware, and I've worked with young people. I, I have a charity that works with young people from tough background. I've done a lot of work with. It's the flick, and I think if I if if you're able, you said it earlier um, about when you want change. I think if you could bottle how you create that moment to force somebody to yeah. get to whether the it's switch. desperation or excitement. Something is either so exciting you want that new life or that goal or dream or you get so uh you know desperate or exhausted or can't live without that you make that change if you if you could bottle how to make change i think we'd be able to do so much more with people it's getting people to the point they're ready for change i'm i think i grew up and wanted change to a certain extent but i mine was actually when i had a back injury and i couldn't walk for a year and that shifted everything and I had to download so many books just to get my brain mm. out of depression and get back to playing sport. And that's mostly the flick for me that made me want everything. I wrote all my goals up and I did my chemistry yeah. degree, masters. You know, I just went on a charge from then. Um, so I, do, I agree with everything you say. I just think it's quite hard. And that's from my experience yeah. when you're in that world um, to be able to have it. But people do all the time. There's so many inspirational mm. stories of people who've come from anywhere. The other thing I was going to challenge you on, which I like to challenge people, is uh, the the title of white privileged male, and people go, I can't talk about something. 
I always think two things. Well, one, I just did. So, yeah, 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 exactly. But one, it's a great perspective to talk from, as in uh, some of my best mentors have been white, middle-aged guys. Who has I'm on the lower echelon of middle age. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, I know you're in 43, you're not that old. But what I mean is, but they've understood the world, they have a good awareness. I, 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 I don't like this sort of uh, mantra at the moment that being a white male means that you can't talk about issues. Yes, you can. And get in the game and look, educate as much as you can about issues that maybe are outside your awareness. But some of the best people I know have a good understanding. So I just, I always, whenever I hear that, I'm like, yeah. yes, you can talk about things mm. and I know that the world cancels but actually as long as you're educated on subjects you can say yeah just as much as everybody else and you don't, there doesn't need to be this sort of limit of I'm in no. this box. No I, I, I agree with that I think the reason I reference that is because I want to honour the fact that in certain areas it's not been as hard for me as it has for mm. some people who've mm. had it really hard mm. I think it's just a respectful thing to do. Mm. Um, but if anyone says to me, oh, you're only successful because you're a privileged white male, mm. I will hit them with a whole ton of <laughs> yeah, yeah. stuff I've had to sacrifice and yeah. what I've done to be successful. And, you know, with respect, I, I do know how to make that. You know, you said it'd be good to talk about the switch change. Mm -hmm. I know how to do that because mm -hmm. I've done it. Mm -hmm. And I'll give a couple of solutions in a minute. But... Um, I can only speak from my own vantage point. Mm -hmm. And if someone wants to listen to me, great. And if they don't, great. Yeah, I am slightly scared. Of, I've only ever once talked about race or privilege on a podcast and I'm 1,100 episodes in. Mm. I am slightly scared because there might be some things I don't understand. Like when it comes to business and money and you're asking mm. me the questions, I feel really confident I know what I'm fucking talking mm. about. Cool. In this area, I'm no expert, mm. I'm just me. Mm. So if people are like, yeah, Rob, we just wanna hear your opinion, I'll be a bit more relaxed, but I'm not an expert and I, I should honor the fact that I'm not an expert and I wouldn't wanna say anything mm. that shows a, a lack of knowledge. On the situation of that switch, mm. that is something I can help people with because mm. I've helped millions of people with this. Mm. If you ask yourself every day, who am I mm -hmm. and what am I supposed to do with this one life? Ooh. And if you don't answer it today, you wake up tomorrow and you go, who am I and what am I supposed to do with this one life? If you ask that for a week or a month or however long, you'll either find it mm -hmm. or you'll find something that bridges into something that, that finds it. So for me, it's to help as many people on this planet get better financial knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I don't care whether you were a billionaire's son or daughter or you've been born in the roughest area of the world, I'm going to give you equal education mm -hmm. on, you know, how you can get better financial knowledge. I have a foundation, the Robin Moore Foundation. I do free podcasts and content every day. So um, ask yourself every day, who am I mm -hmm. and what am I supposed to do with this one life? That's the first thing. The next thing is um, find some people who you really admire, mm -hmm. who have got results and success and experience in that area you think you want to be good at mm -hmm. and follow them and learn from them, watch their videos, listen to their podcasts. And here's the good thing, let's say someone's really underprivileged mm -hmm. and they just ha haven't got any money. Well, you can get free credits on Audible, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. can listen to podcasts, uh, you can go and watch people's lives. So, you know, let's say you're uh, in business uh, and you wanna, I don't know, follow one of the Dragons or Grant Cardone or mm -hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk or whatever, you can just go on their lives mm -hmm. and watch. Mm -hmm. And it's all free. So there is 
a, a lower barrier now to get the startup information to get started. Because mm -hmm. before it might have been only for the rich or you might have had to go to the library. And even now, if you struggle with reading and you've got dyslexia, you can listen to audiobooks mm -hmm. and you can double the speed. So um, who am I? What do I want to do with my life, this one life? Follow people who've already got it. Mm. And what that's going to do then is that's going to open a, a few more doors and then a few more. So you know when you read a book and then in it, they refer to three other books. Mm. And then you go to the net, you open the door and then you've got the whole new row of doors. And then mm. that book's three. And before you know, you read 10 personal, you start with Think and Grow Rich and mm. How to Win Friends and Influence People and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and maybe mm. my book Money. And you read those and then all of a sudden you're going to have another 20 and then another 200 and then another 2,000. All you, before you know it, there's this whole world of, wow, I didn't even know this existed. Mm. And then you're in the game. Yeah. Take it all. I'm making the notes. I'm taking the notes. I'm in the game. I'm in the game. Andrew Flintoff, mm -hmm. um, he came out recently being honest about his bulimia, didn't mm -hmm. he? Mm -hmm. um, and he's transitioned greatly from cricket mm, to have another, a really big second career. So do you talk about him and what yeah, do you think? He's, um, he's quite an inspirational character, actually. I think one I definitely relate from the working class background in terms of you just even look at the way he went about it and how he got into a sport, which he, he did recently did a documentary. So I've always taken to him as a character. But equally, I think what we, what his first documentary recently came out about and his challenges behind the scene is... Do you mean with his bulimia? Yeah, with yeah. his bulimia is the, the, the challenges behind sport, which is to perform at the highest level. Obviously, that he was trying to maintain, you know, the image of who he was as a player, but struggling behind the scenes. Um, and to think actually that someone like that was winning ashes and smashing the ball around, but dealing with that behind the scenes kind of we talk about mindset and where the mind is. It kind of, I felt for him first of all, but also it made him go up in my estimation because um, to the, the career he's had, not just there, but what he's built into Top Gear, massive career in the media, um, and to have gone through challenges like that. One, he's resilient and he's got bounce back ability and he's put himself through a lot. I think the other is it, especially for males actually, it opened up talking about subjects that maybe sometimes feel a bit taboo actually for guys. I think, I'm not saying it's easy for women at all, but women were maybe a little bit more able to talk about some of the tougher stuff. I think guys have, we've had, there's been a bit more of a movement, especially around males and mental health and suicide rates and things like that about we need to get men talking. And so I think seeing him open up and do a documentary like that really move me. But I think the one thing that I always think when I see Andrew Flintoff is someone who's been prepared to try anything. You know, I don't know if you remember when he finished playing, he tried boxing. And I remember watching him getting hammered. He think, oh my God, Flintoff, what are you doing? Um, he's thrown himself into theatre. He's thrown into... And, and I think almost for a big guy like that, you know, great. He's just always had this curiosity, I think, openness to try. And he's clearly got a resilience um, that has allowed him to now build another... There's not many cricketers... You think about how many cricketers that you can think of that have gone on from one yeah. to into like a, a top of media and present. Mm. There's not many. And I think it's because he's got that curiosity, that openness, prepared to fail. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love people who don't mind failing. And even if his failure is going to be public, he'll still go even if he's dealing with challenges. So he's up there as one of my favourite cricketers. He's a lovely guy, very warm... Um, and I think he's inspired a lot of people. I don't know if he was up there as your favourite cricketer, but 
He was, he was up there. He's definitely in my top five. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think how he played the game. Mm -hmm. Let's do a little homage to Shane Warne while we're here. And he mm -hmm. said, how you play the game is mm. as important as how good you are at the game. Mm -hmm. And cricket, which is generally regarded as a relatively slow sport, should we be nice? Mm -hmm. A relatively mm -hmm. slow sport. You know, people like Shane Warne, Andrew Flintoff, mm -hmm. Kevin Peterson. Yeah. The way they played the game disrupted. Mm. I, I, I even said this to his face, um, Kev, when I interviewed him. I said, one of my all-time favourite moments where out of the blue in a test match mm. Kevin Peterson did a switch hit for six mm -hmm. and like that people weren't doing switch hits then mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just out of the blue Bang. for six yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they can do it now but it's like the four minute mile no one was running the four minute mile yeah, and then time. when you see it now everyone can switch hit, mm -hmm. hit for six mm -hmm. it's just like wow the the audacity and the but the kahunas. <laughs> I'd just, I'd, I'd sort of change my hands in our forward defensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah. right, I'm right. Keep yeah. it simple. Well, I guess one thing I'll ask you actually is that about that disruptive mindset. So, Kevin Peterson, in being that cricketer that he was, changed the game, but also it came with its problems. Um, we talk about the hundred a minute ago might change the game, but it comes with its problems. You don't mind being disruptive, as in different ideas, doing yeah. things differently. Do you enjoy that mindset? Because it comes with yes. a backlash. Do you I enjoy do. it? Yes. If you do what you've always done, mm. you will get what you've always got. Mm. So if you're happy with what you've always got, mm. you probably would see disruption as a bad thing. Yeah, but then you're putting your head above the parapet. People will have more opinions. I just more get more noise. I just get really excited when things are different and mm. things are happening and things are changing, and um, I, I want an exciting life. Mm. I want to have fun. I want to make a lot of money. I want to be very successful, and I want to have a lot of fun. Mm. And I think that if things get staid and boring and repetitive, that's the opposite of that. Mm. Mm. So it's weird because there's certain challenges which are really hard. Like it, when the lockdown happened, we had insourcers, so physical staff in our office and outsourcers, more than 150 people on our payroll. Mm -hmm. And like almost 100 of them were in an office. We knew them and they had families. Mm -hmm. And we had, my MD, myself and my business partner had to sit in one in the little kitchen because we couldn't do it in any meeting rooms and have, we had a spreadsheet and we had to look at a load of people that we'd have to let go. We just went down everyone's name and basically went, Good we have to keep them, they've got to go, they've got to go. I really like them, but they've got to go. They're new, they look like a talent, but they've got to go. Mm. And like in that moment, I thought, oh, this is horrible. Mm. But I also thought, fucking hell, I can do this. Because when you're an entrepreneur, what most people can't do is that. Mm. They can't. The hard, yeah, the hard, hard decisions. Yeah. And so it's a weird thing where I was like, I knew in this moment, this is gonna be the hardest fucking time in business I've ever had. And mm. it was, by mm. the way, mm. it was. And I also knew this is my opportunity to pull off a miracle that most people can't. And, and our whole industry was smashed because mm. we were an events business, mm. a face-to-face -face yeah, events business, yeah. and that was made illegal. Mm. Um, and you know, I was just talking to Harry in the car about how business is now, and we're right back where we were pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. We kept nearly all of our staff in the process. Amazing. Um, all of the premises, everything else, kept looked after all the clients, gave the clients a load of free mentoring. And that was hard, but it was also an opportunity to do something different and be great. And the thing is, you don't get an opportunity that much to do something big and great. So when you do have an opportunity, mm. 
you mm. should fucking take it. Mm. But the downside of big and great is epic failure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with... Which live- I think is quite fearful. So, okay, you take my life. Most of it has been in a really cosy career of sport. Player, you're told... I've been, for, for example, I've been Can banging on about you should keep doing your podcast. Yeah, I know, you, and I've you, been going up you and down would, with it. You okay. would be bigger than Jesus Christ now if you yeah. kept doing your podcast the whole time. You can mental me, I'm yeah. I got him on camera yeah. saying that. He'll send me the bill, though. <laughs> I know that bill will be coming. Fair just, exchange. Fair exchange. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you cricket lessons if you hook up my podcast. But no, but you're right. Um, but my point is, it's safe, right? So everything has been nice and juicy. But that's the assumption that safe is good. Oh, yeah. Fair point. Like, are you going to look back at your life and go, oh, I really remember those safe moments Yeah. when I nuzzled in my mother's bosom, <laughs> you know? Or it's are so you, cozy. Uh, yeah, exactly. With my warm milk. Or are you going to remember <laughs> yeah. the crazy shit? So Harry and I talk about this. Like, on my podcast, mm-hmm. I've not really had too many disasters mm-hmm. where we've interviewed a massive diva mm-hmm. and they've just gone, oh, I'm fucking out of here. Or I've had a massive argument. But I say to Harry, bring those bits on because they're going to be the bits mm-hmm. we remember mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to those mm-hmm. bits. And um, we had a guest, I won't mention his name, um, but about a quarter of the way in, he just lost his shit and got really fucking angry with me. <laughs> and like, right, this last bit we're taking out. You know, I don't want these questions. This last bit we are taking out. Mm-hmm. And he made me promise um, not to produce any of it. And I stuck to my word, even though that was the best content out of the rest of the fucking yeah. episode. And Harry after was like, fucking hell, that was awkward. And I was like, we'll remember this episode for the yeah. next 10 years. Yeah. And looking back, I'm like, that was fucking good. I handled it really well, by the way. Yeah. I, I often don't give myself credit. I'm a bit of a self-beater upper. But I sat there and navigated him and let him have his fucking diva moment. He thought he was bigger than who he actually really was. And, and I let him have his diva moment and carried on with Grace and we finished the episode. But that kind of crazy shit yeah. is what you remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, in the last 15 years, what do I remember the most? I've, I didn't just survive but thrive through the, through the lockdown. Mm. Not, you know, and yeah, the good times are good. But sometimes you're also... Like cricketers, do you really, obviously you love being in good form when you're mm-hmm. seeing the ball big, but actually when you grind out yeah, a really yeah, yeah. gritty 40 yeah. Out, yeah, of, yeah, on, yeah. out of 160 balls on a really pit, shit pitch, mm. you probably value that the most. Yeah. So I think we value the things the most that are the hardest and the most challenging. Mm. Mm. So shake it up basically. Yeah, that's right. why I like disruption. Yeah. I can tell. Yeah, yeah, I got a T-shirt. So why haven't you been doing your podcast the whole time? Yeah, you know really, loads of famous people. Yeah, you just like yeah. Well, the answer, honest answer, is two reasons actually. One, I really enjoyed doing it. You were amazing. I had some amazing guests on there, by the way, from Alistair Campbell to all sorts. You know, great, great people, sporting people. Um, then my career blew up, mm. and what I hadn't done, which I think you're better, is I hadn't systemized the whole process. Do you, you know I mean with production mm. and all that sort of stuff? So then I was a bit un- overwhelmed with that of, I had two choices, my brain energy's gone one way. Yeah. And, I, and don't get me wrong, you know, I've, I've got to some amazing places in my career. No regrets. No regrets <laughs> no in that tears sense. Goodbye. However, my podcast is coming back with a venue, because actually I've mostly got more mates as a result of the last some of the two, three years in terms of my network. Well, the thing is you could have leveraged all of that, if I was you know, popularity yeah. and yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And all the brand deals you could have done. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. You I'm need on my, it. me as your manager. Do you, do you want to come on it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your percentage? What's your percentage? You're gonna. I'll do fair exchange. Fair exchange. Yeah, I've already made my money. All right. Yeah. All right. Just another little income stream. <laughs> Multiple streams of income. Multiple streams That's of income. Important. Yeah. 
I've got a few. So games. you're going to relaunch it, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when was the last time you did an episode? It's about a year ago, but they're, they're still yeah. getting listened to. Yeah, of course. I mean, they're still there. They help with my there. speaking careers. And my, yeah. I've summed up a lot of ideas. But if new really people well. go on and they see the last episode yeah, was a it's year, it's not happening. Give it a shout out. What's it called? Uh, the Art of Success. But I'm changing the name to Live Your Best Life. So Ooh. yeah, and I'm going to go lots in lots of different directions as well. Also, I think I hamstrung myself with the the titles a bit too focused on success versus I wanted to. Go slightly wider yeah, in topics. Yeah, but you've got what's his name? Jay Humphrey is doing the high performance, high performance one, podcast, yeah. and he's getting great guests and yeah. doing really well. Yeah. So you know, podcast is... game still alive? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, video more. Joe Rogan, so. just like bigger than God. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we do multimedia now. As you can see, we've got TikTok, mm. we've got YouTube. We'll do shorts audio and video. So I think multimedia. That's how it's evolved yeah. into multimedia. Um, but podcast, the bread and butter fundamentals mm. of it, yeah. Mm. And it, like you said, it's great for your, your speaking career, your mm. credibility. Mm. People will s take time to listen to a podcast, mm. whereas on TikTok they're always fucking distracted yeah. and scrolling. Yeah. You can listen to a podcast in a car. You can't watch a YouTube video mm. in a car without breaking mm. the law. So podcast definitely not dead. They're actually still quite young. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about Joe Rogan before and he did start at a brilliant time. Yeah. And he had some other notoriety with his fighting commentary that he could bring in. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just because you're not Joe Rogan, that's not a reason to start. Mm -hmm. If you have a passion, mm -hmm. talk about it. Yeah. YouTube, podcast, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn. Get it out there. Get it out there. All right. Thanks, mentor. Good All right. You. Boom. This has been <laughs> loads of fun. This has been years in the making. It has. It has.